0: The Self Love Club, where boss women share their stories to empower others. Welcome to the Self Love Club podcast. I'm your host, Belle Crawford. Hello, welcome to a new episode. Thank you so much for listening. We'll get into it very soon. Couple of quick things. We rely heavily on your support, and thank you so much for the support you give the Self-Love Club. Ways you can do that is making sure that you're subscribed to the Self-Love Club on whatever podcast app you like listening on. We're on all of them. Also, you can share it with your friends, send the link. Uh, tag us in your Instagram story, share it with your pals. You can find us at Self Love Club Podcast on Instagram. We're in a few other places too, and you can find all of those in the show notes of this episode. On the Self Love Club Insta, you get daily content, little pep talks, your midweek PSA, IGTV clips, heaps of cool stuff. And most of all, really cool to be able to connect with you. Right, let's get into this week's episode. Kimberly Crossman is an actress and presenter and landed a spot on top Kiwi soap Shortland Street when she was 15. Since then, Kim moved to LA to pursue her dreams. Kim was diagnosed with depression and in this episode, we chat about mental health, negative self-talk, getting thrown into an adult world young and being an A-type overachiever. I love this chat so much. Kim is a lot of fun and I know you'll love it too. Enjoy. Kim, welcome to the Self Love Club podcast. Thank you so much for your time today. You're a busy lady doing a lot of projects, so I really appreciate you making this time today.
1: Oh, well, thank you for having me. Your podcast is awesome. So, oh,
0: Thanks. <laughs>
1: Look at us. We're doing great work.
0: Yay us. Well, yeah. <laughs> Kim has a really cool podcast too. I always do that whenever anyone's like, you've done this cool. I'm like, so do they. <laughs> like, yeah, very New Zealand. Like, oh, but not me, you. Come on, <laughs> you. <laughs> so tell us a bit about yourself and what you do.
1: So I'm an actress and presenter and I've been doing that since I was 15 professionally, uh, which is awesome. Touch wood, paper, may it continue. Yeah, I'll touch that for you too. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Gosh, yeah. I I do definitely feel like kind of imposter syndrome thing that at some point I'll get found out and they're like, you've had a good run, kid. So I do that. And then I'm also an SPCA and and World Vision ambassador, which I'm really proud of. I don't know. I I feel like what I'm pursuing is ultimately really selfish. It kind of fills the pot for me. So it's nice to kind of obviously be active and and taking part in work that. It has a bigger ripple effect outside of myself so and i'm obsessed with animals and comedy and just want a farm with two paddocks and <laughs> lots of different types of animals that are all friends. Aww. That's basically the dream.
0: It's <laughs> a, a good dream. It's a very good dream. And you, you'll you get there. You totally will. Like, yeah. Thank
1: you, I appreciate
0: so, that. Take us back. Where did you grow up? And growing up, did you know that you wanted to be an actress?
1: Yeah. So I grew up in Oraki in Auckland with my mum and my stepdad. My mum is a ballet teacher. My stepdad is in the motorsport industry, races cars and things. So I had... A two parents who I feel very lucky, and I didn't realize this until I had an aha moment later in life, that they were kind of pursuing a career that was based around a passion and a dream. So I think that really planted the seed for me that that is what I would follow rather than kind of um, maybe a financially lucrative job. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Not that they can't be, but you know, different, Follow, follow your and follow your talent. Um, I really wanted to be a vet early on. Um, I spent one school holiday working at a veterinary clinic when I was really young, helping out and couldn't even last a day. Just felt so anxious about animals being under anesthetic and not feeling any control of it. So I was like, oh, maybe not to the career path. And then I really either wanted to be, I danced as well, wanted to be either like a backup dancer or run away and join the circus, which I was actively pursuing. <laughs> and, and acting was kind of part of that. It just felt a little bit like a bit of a pipe dream until I got cast in Shortland Street when I was fifteen and and from that realized like,
0: oh, maybe this is
1: an actual possibility. So, yeah,
0: yeah, tell us about that. I mean, being cast in Shortland Street at fifteen, an iconic mm-hmm. New Zealand show, was that a dream come true, or were you just like, what like what what was that like for you?
1: Yeah, it was um it was interesting because I To answer that simply, yes, definitely dream come true. I think I was so nervous about it because I had, I was doing acting school in the weekends at AYA, which is called Aspiring Young Actors. And so I would do improv and acting in the weekend. But I think I was just so nervous about being hired full time and you're kind of young and you're thrown into an environment with all adults. I was the youngest cast member at that time. So whilst, yes, it was a dream come true, I think I unfortunately put so much pressure on myself that whilst I did enjoy it, I was always really stressed and just wanted to do an amazing job Mm. from the get-go. And I made it quite a stressful experience (laughs) early on, which is fine. I think that's probably just in my nature and part of my personality as well. But yeah, it's a crazy world to be thrown into. And then, you know, it's it's quite a weird way to spend your last couple of years at school trying to do school and trying to work full-time and experience experiencing like two very different worlds simultaneously so Mm. yeah it was an interesting thing to happen at that stage in my life but super grateful for it and I did really enjoy it I just take myself so seriously sometimes (laughs) I think maybe I could have had a bit more fun
0: (laughs) I think I know what you mean though like not that I've you know I I can't relate to that but it, it is like you we take things so seriously in that moment we don't really enjoy it and then you look back and you're like I didn't really enjoy it as much as I probably could have because I was so serious about it or so focused and worried that I wasn't doing a good enough job, but... That's probably just Mm -hmm. part of the performance element, though, don't you think? Yeah, definitely.
1: I mean, I was so intense that my very first day on Shortland Street, uh, (laughs) it was a rehearsal day, so it wasn't even a filming day. I spent the whole day throwing up and got sent home because I had just, like, spun myself into, like, (laughs) such a severe anxiety. But I obviously played it off. I must have eaten something or something, but I was like, like, couldn't (laughs) couldn't fucking handle it.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
1: I I was very lucky that the actors who played my family members, especially Peter Mockery, who played my dad and Lee Donna who played my brother like took me under their wing and really really helped me just grasp it because if you haven't worked in film and television it's a lot to get thrown into Mm. you know professionally in a show like that that operates so
0: quickly what were some of the biggest things you learned as part of that experience I mean yeah I mean you guys are filming so much and it is in a professional environment Mm -hmm. for you yeah,
1: I mean, I am quite a people pleaser, overachiever, teacher's pet. So I feel like <laughs> that part of it was like the easy part for me, like learning the lines, showing up, doing the work was the easy part. I think for me, it was more just like the the other effects of Shorten Street that affected me at that young age, you know, like not having any experience in a, a public arena. And my character was... A little promiscuous, a little bratty to start with and people perceiving you as that character which felt really far away from who I am as Kim. And then like like my first my first publicity that I did was the cover of a performance car magazine when I was 16, which is wildly inappropriate. <laughs> yeah. So I was kind of like sexualized at an age where I was like not even having sex, like and that wasn't a short and straight thought. It was just the way that, like, my character was kind of introduced was kind of this, supposed to be this kind of hot new kid who's a bit of a bitch. Like, and it's like, <laughs> you kind of spend a lot of your time in public trying to undo that. Like, no, I'm really like, nice and sweet, I swear. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> I remember I used to, like, teach cheerleading and a lot of the mums would be like, well, you've been a bit interesting this week. Or, or like, they can't, like, <laughs> New Zealanders, yeah at that time, have a little we, bit of a difficult did separating. Didn't,
0: yeah, we couldn't separate because... Because we started thinking that you, the characters, were the people. Like, we, it's yeah, I don't mm-hmm. know. It's a weird thing that we used to do. I remember being at New World at, like, 6.45 one night and a lady
1: coming up to me in a panic saying, well, you better hurry because I guess <laughs> she thought that, like, <laughs> it's live, it's happening. Like, yeah. <laughs> 7 p.m., get in the TV, which is very sweet.
0: <laughs> what do you think that yeah. was like for you with your peers and at school as well being on a show that is, like, the top-rating New Zealand show every night? And people's homes, how was that received with your schoolmates? My friends or family really cared. Like I don't think it was,
1: yeah, I don't ever remember. I think it was more my own personal lens of it that I kind of felt like I grew up quite quickly and that sort of separated me from my peers a lot because I was hanging out with adults and wanted to hang out with adults. You're experiencing this new shiny thing and then all your school friends are kind of like a maths exam and I'm like, meh. Like, <laughs> I think I, I probably just felt like I grew up quite quickly and and missed a little bit of what is true from that like 15 to 20, 21-year-old kind of Mm. age gap where like you learn about alcohol and experimenting with alcohol and boundaries and, you know, other things that I kind of missed that chapter and had to, you know, kind of relearn
0: Mm. later. Was that something you did later on, you know, like you weren't really partying when you were younger? Um, so when I started on Shorten Street, uh, what was quite
1: strange was actually I was definitely would go out i didn't really drink i had a couple of bad experiences early on cuz i was on the telly we were allowed to be at like some clubs and stuff so some of my friends came totally while we were underage like under 18 so we kind of like we were like oh this is the coolest experience and stuff and yeah i just i feel like i didn't have the maturity to handle that definitely got myself into some situations that i carry a lot of like regret around in terms of where alcohol or where men were involved just because I didn't have the maturity of handling those situations, mm-hmm. I don't think life hadn't shown me any of. I hadn't had that as an example prior to that situation. If that makes sense,
0: mm, yeah, it's definitely. I, I think I don't really drink that much anymore because when I look back, um, a lot of times filled with anxiety are from drinking. You know, like things that happened yeah. or the, the beating yourself up afterwards and. You know, like mm-hmm. the the things you think you did bad, which you probably didn't even do bad at all. But you create this thing in your head and it was all around big nights, yeah. you know. And it's so it's just like, well, drinking's not really the thing, you know, if it's if it's gonna cause yeah. that much anxiety for you. Yeah. I
1: went off alcohol for about six years after oh. kind of some of my early experiences. Just cause yeah, like you're saying, like I not to at all play victim, but I think I was in some situations that involved alcohol that as someone who's incredibly hard on myself, I put the blame on oh, all those situations I was in were my fault because I had drunk. And when looking back, I think it was just the people around me probably took advantage of of me in, in some way. Um, so, yeah, I definitely was like, oh, I can't do alcohol because if I don't have alcohol, then I don't have control of a situation. Mm. And, you know, if I keep my wits about me, then these um, situations won't happen. Yeah. So starting to date my recent boyfriend, Josh, a couple of years ago was like when I started introducing alcohol back in my life. I'm not very good at it. <laughs> like, yeah. like that's the outcome,
0: I, I have und- a really low tolerance. I understand. <laughs> like some of us are a bit more sensitive. We only need a couple of drinks and we're good. Any more than yeah. that? it's just not good for us it's not a good time and and the anxiety that comes the next day is just not worth it you know and even during like I've noticed now that
1: I'm a bit more aware that I have anxiety and depression and spiraling thoughts I do notice that if I have had a drink or two kind of that those doors to um, spiraling thoughts can open a lot more freely if Mm. I have had a couple of drinks. Like say we're having a chat and I've had a couple of drinks and you say something that's a joke. I'm probably maybe... It's possible that I'm maybe more sensitive and then can kind of go like, oh, why did Belle say that? Like, oh, maybe she doesn't like, it. you know, whatever that spiral right. then becomes.
0: I a understand. Bit, I, I did I'm exactly. more willing to go down it if I've had some alcohol. I'm yeah. like, this is
1: exactly what's happening. When it's yeah, you're happening. so
0: right. It does have a huge effect on us. We'll talk more about that soon. Um, you're on Shortland Street for a long time and then you went to LA, which is like a dream. Mm-hmm. So, what was happening there? Did you, was that a process that you got to eventually or was that always part of the dream?
1: Um, I went over to do some hosting for Nickelodeon one year, and it was on that trip that I kind of was interviewing people who were on Nickelodeon, who were the same age, and it just kind of changed it from being this pipe dream to being like, oh, this is possible. Like I felt like I had met my peers. These were you know, I I just always, always get hassled about being a bit too much, and you know, like that I'm best in small doses. And so then you go and meet these Americans who are like loud and crazy, and like let's jump in the pool with our clothes on. And I'm like, ah, that is awesome. Like, so I think I kind of like fell in love with this town and the city, and it felt really possible. So then I kind of started laying the groundwork of I didn't want to get killed off Shorten Street. It was really important to me that you know I. I work out my contract and leave things open and work with them on, on how we could do that. And then started to kind of do trips back and forth and get representation and auditions. And so it's a really long process because working in the States can be quite, it is quite difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I have such a, I had such a romance with Los Angeles. I was infatuated by it, and then it treated me mean for a bit. And I wanted it more. And then, like now, I'm in a situation where I'm like, I don't know if I need it in my life. Like it's, a, you know, it's just weird. It's, it's like a bad boyfriend, like yeah. Totally, which I'm definitely well versed on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> haven't learned all of the, any of the lessons, but continue the behavior. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so LA has been an interesting beast. I've had some of like the greatest moments and experiences of my life. And then it's been a lot of heart, a lot of really painful moments as well. Because mm.
0: so. what's it like going to a big place like that where everyone's chasing this dream? And it's I think it's harder in some ways because if you're not from that country, you might not have the connections. They might see you as a little bit different. Um, I know that that's the way in a lot of places outside of acting, even if you just go to like London and try work and whatever job over there, or even Australia, was that Mm. quite disheartening at times? Did you feel like it was just really hard? Yeah,
1: I did. I mean, there's also something really beautiful about it though. You know, like everyone who's in LA is a very transient city. Everyone is there because they believe in themselves or their idea or their talent enough to give it a go. And I feel like that creates really fascinating people because everyone has, has made a massive sacrifice, whether that's moving away from their family, loved ones, children, whatever, to pursue something. And like anything, there's good and bad that comes with that. What it, The good is that like you've got these incredibly driven, focused, talented humans in one place. And I love curious, exciting people. So that's a great thing. And then the bad, I guess the, the flip side to that is Everyone is kind of waiting, opportunity trumps loyalty, you know, so it's hard to make friends because, you know, you could be really excited to see someone and then they get an audition or a job and then obviously they're going to cancel on you, like, because everyone is chasing something, myself included, I'm extremely guilty of doing that. Yeah, I think that, that quote of, it's a city where opportunity trumps loyalty is, is com- completely true mm-hmm. and that's not the New Zealand way and that's yeah. quite hard to, yeah, yeah stomach. It's-
0: is it quite disappointing? I mean, I'm sure you got used to it, and you are used to it. But you know, doing audition after audition, and maybe not getting certain roles—like, do you just get used to that, or is it hard on you? I think it's case by case. Like,
1: yeah, I audition heaps, which I'm again with, very grateful for. But yeah, there's some some jobs, your heart is really in it, and those do feel like massive heartbreaks. I mean, my kind of big turning point last year was a, a job that I had, you know, we had worked, we'd shot it it felt like the stars were aligning. It was like this euphoric kind of experience of like, oh, everything hasn't worked because this was the job that was supposed to be it. And it felt everyone got along. It felt like family and just everything about it felt perfect and full of joy and creativity. And it just was just the coolest experience. And it didn't, it got, it got canceled. It didn't get picked up. And that was a huge heartbreak because normally when I get to have a disappointment, I can kind of shower and start again. I have a bit of a cry, have a shower, start again. And for some reason with this job, it was like, I felt so close to the finish line of this race that I've kind of been spending a decade and a bit chasing. And it felt like I was could touch the arrival as such. Mm. And it, and it had hurt like, unlike any heartbreak or anything I've ever experienced. It just, yeah, it was really, really disheartening And you don't ever get an answer of why something doesn't go You know, then it's kind of like like in a relationship You're like, well, what happened? Where did it go wrong? And it's like you're not privy to any of that information mm. Which sucks, yeah
0: Yeah, and it's probably nothing personal It's probably just like the scheduling or the money Or like just didn't get picked up oh, Like, it. you know, like it's nothing to do with you But at the time mm-hmm. it can feel very personal Because you put so much of yourself into it, you know
1: And it's your heart and it's people you care about at that point that you've built relationship for. And yeah. So I have to remember, I have to keep reminding myself that I chose, this is a choice. I'm choosing to pursue this career and it's, you know, learning that with the highs comes some, horrible lows and my kind of journey at the moment is just finding a better way to navigate those ups and downs because I do go up with the ups and down with the downs and that's not the healthiest way to live to tie all of my validation and emotion to my Mm -hmm. career is is not sustainable and it, it's not healthy.
0: <laughs> yeah. Like what have been some ways you're sort of trying to do that? Cause I can imagine that must be really hard cause there's a lot of exciting moments, but a lot of disappointments as well. So how are you trying to level that out? So you don't go up and down with the, with them so much.
1: Yeah. Well, that was actually the reason why I started the podcast. My podcast selfishly was just to talk to other people about how they're doing it. Cause I was like, I don't want to be the cliche like, oh, the artist is depressed. What an original take. Um, You know, and I was like, well, there's got to be a better way. And I think in talking to other people, it's finding value in other things, whether that is family or friendship or kind of maybe the work that I'm doing with the SPCA or trying to find value in myself and love myself outside of the identity of what I do for a job. It's really challenging for me because I am addicted to what I do. I love what I do. It's the only time in my life I feel truly, truly present is when a camera's on or like we're in this interview, you know, nothing, everything else is a blur. Whereas as soon as we step away from this or I step away from set, it just feels like chaos of so many other things that I kind of retreat a little bit. So my, it's my favorite version of myself that I'm chasing and it's my least favorite version of myself when I'm not doing that. And mm-hmm. so I try to fill my time constantly allowing myself to be the version of me that I like and not sit with this insecure, um, vulnerable version of self that is in those between times or those quiet times.
0: Yeah, that must be hard because sometimes you can't control the amount of work you have and then you might have a patch like you've had recently where you've had so much and then there's other times where it's a bit quieter. So that must be quite hard to balance out, you know? Yeah, and I wish I had the answer of how
1: (laughs) to make it work. It's just like a a trial and error and, and figuring that out and seeing what other people do and Ultimately, what I need to learn is just to be kinder to myself in those times. Mm. Part of the reason I'm not good at those moments is because I'm really hard on myself. I feel like every minute of every day should be productive. What can I be doing? What should I be doing? Yeah, And I don't allow myself to rest or be kind or any of that stuff. And, you know, if I go long periods of time without working or having a job, You know, then I start thinking like, what if I never have another job? Mm. Then what am I going to do? And speaking in shoulds or what ifs, which if anyone has ever been to any kind of therapy or anxiety, the words shoulds, like, (laughs) should never be part of your vocabulary. I should be at this point in my life or I should have this relationship or I should be buying a house or whatever those shoulds are. are never healthy mindsets. Have so. you
0: felt a lot of those pressures? Like, I mean, I know that we, as people who are a bit anxious, we do think in shoulds and, you know, we put that pressure on ourselves mm-hmm. as well. I know it sounds like you do. Have you had moments where you're like put pressure on yourself and thinking, oh, I should be, you know, all those milestones, you know, like I should be married, I should have a family. Or do you not really put that pressure on yourself?
1: I definitely do at times. I mean, I'm I'm aware of that. I'm aware of my age. I'm aware of, that on paper, I don't have a house, I'm not married, I'm not pregnant or plan to be anytime soon. I know my eggs, I may have to figure out something. Like I'm aware of those conversations, but I think more than that, I have more of a pull to like travel and experience life. And I feel ashamed to say that, that that to me feels more important Mm -hmm. to kind of fulfill my life and explore. And I just feel so stupid and insignificant and haven't experienced enough that I have more of a pull to kind of, I don't know, feed my curiosity. Like I still feel like I say, Oh, when I grow up, I want to, or like, you know, like, Oh, I'd love to, you know, learn more about, Environmental silence, or maybe I want to, you know, do safari. I should go and do a yoga retreat for eight weeks. Like, I feel like those things kind yeah. of feel more the thing that, like, time is running out to do yeah. those things. Also, there, there is
0: nothing life. wrong with that. That's like life is for no, living, you know. It's like, and it's and like yeah. I always think those some of those things aren't going anywhere. I mean, in terms yeah. of in terms of the other um, societal milestones, yeah, they're not going anywhere. You can always buy a house another time. Like, go, like, live your life and experience. The and times right now, Belle. Now yeah, is the I time. Going.
1: So it's like, it's, yeah, I think that's a weird. I genuinely worry that if I were to quote unquote settle down, have children, and have a house, that there would be part of myself which is kind of like mischievous, I guess. I'm not sure that would, that would be quite, feel quite trapped or unhappy mm. by that right now at this chapter of my life. And I, I don't know that. And maybe that's just a narrative that I've romanticized. I don't know. There's part of like that nesting that I think is appealing. And that's like designing the house or getting a kitchen done, or I don't know, watching your sleeping child. But
0: enjoy what you're doing, live in the moment. I think what you're doing is great, and it will all come like if that's what you want, that will happen, you know? Just enjoy it and live in like these opportunities that are coming up for you and that you've created yourself. I think that's really important. Like, you know, you got to keep doing that. Thank you. And I want to be clear. I'm not.
1: Yeah, I'm not I'm not poo-pooing anyone who no, is pursuing this. I'm sure it totally yeah. brings totally brings them joy. And but also like maybe this is my issue. It's that I am chasing this career. Maybe if I did have like family like yeah. my own family or my own place, then maybe I would feel more grounded and more settled and feel more validated in a role perhaps as a parent rather than, you know, this chaotic nomad that I am so uh, you know I'm only speaking to my experience I definitely know there's plenty of people who are pursuing that who feel really happy and validated yeah I just am not sure I'm there
0: yet Mm, that's totally fine and you talk about I've you've said before (coughs) earlier today that you you know with you when you're not busy and you're not working that's a really bad spot for you talk us through that
1: I guess bad spot is kind of subjective as well. You know, like if I can keep myself busy by doing things, then I'm I'm good. It's just this kind of sitting alone thing that I'm trying to do, trying to meditate, trying to go for walks. But I always need some kind of noise involved, whether it's listening to something. I'm just not very good at just sitting with me. And I think I avoid sitting with me, whether that's like I use the example of like, Self care of sitting in a bath is like my worst nightmare because I'm sitting there without a phone, without a distraction. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, all the crazy thoughts come in of, you know, all my horrible voices. So I've kind of learned these, I guess, coping mechanisms to avoid being in silence. But that is unhealthy. So I think what I'm trying to learn to do is when those feelings come up or thoughts come up, just going through basic therapy 101 of like, what is the thought? Is it true? is it not a true thought? Have I created something? What are the facts? How does it make me feel? Etc. And and kind of working through stuff that way.
0: What are some of those thoughts and ideas that are coming to you?
1: Yeah. Just that I'm a, a piece of shit. Everyone will leave me. No one likes me. I don't like myself. I don't add any value to a situation. I'm boring. I'm whatever horrible thing that anyone could think of. I definitely thought I don't I'm, a, I'm burdensome to people um it's I don't so know me no one really knows me just like those opposite people. of what is true like you are not isn't it oh and I don't I don't No. I don't always believe that but like that's my yeah. brain wants to hurt me in those moments and that's what you know my version of depression is negative self-talk and that's you're right those things aren't real I am you know I do obviously make mistakes but I always act with integrity of not trying to hurt people or anything like that that doesn't stop that's my depression is Mm. negative self-talk so it's just anything I do is not good enough I could have done better I'll leave a social social situation sometimes if I'm not in a good place and kind of replay it and go, why did I say that I shouldn't have said that or now they think this and none of it is based in any fact it's just my Mm. my brain ruminating on something.
0: Yeah, um, has this always been something that you've experienced? Because I know that you know you you found out that you had depression a wee while ago. Was that something you've always experienced, and then it came to a point? Like, how did that all come about? Yeah, so I got diagnosed because I was having
1: some you know suicidal thoughts, which I had never experienced before, and that was really scary for me because I I knew that that that's kind of a, a tipping point for a lot of a lot of people. And I think what I've learned through, you know, talk therapy and through talking to other people was that I thought it was all because of a burnout and a, you know, a triggering event. But in learning more about it and educating myself on mental health, there's a lot of context clues that yes, that thought process has been active my entire life. You know, I am a perfectionist, grew up in a a household where like, if you're going to do something, you've got to do it at 110% and which is amazing. And I went to an all girls school where it was definitely like this overachieving mentality of like, be your best, do your best, always put your best foot forward. And so I think that's just the, this little Petri dish of all the right ingredients to create that kind of negative self-talk because yeah, nothing is good enough. You could always do better and there's always room for improvement. And I just, as an intense individual, take that. Mm. a step too far where then nothing actually becomes okay or good or fine. It's like, yeah.
0: Mm. So you got diagnosed. So that was obviously things were getting to a point where you're like, I need to do something about this. Talk us through that, you know, because did you ever think that you might have depression?
1: I knew something was not okay. I was really hesitant to go and see anyone and get that on paper or diagnosed because I had a lot of shame that I couldn't get out of the funk on my own. Again, this kind of like overachiever mentality of like, I can fix this. And knowing I couldn't, I knew I wasn't okay, but I didn't want someone to not only say I wasn't okay, or perhaps it was worse. Like that was my, like, what if I go and see a psychologist and she's like, we need to lock you up, Kim, you are a danger to society. Like, you know, like, I had never been to a therapy before, so I didn't know what to expect. Like, What if I am, you know, a complete like psychopath or something like? Which apparently, if you, I'm not. Don't worry, I've been tested. But you you know, but like that (laughs) that was my concern was that you know, what if it's so much worse than that and. It wasn't. And for anyone who is feeling anxious about going to see someone and talk to them, it was actually such a fun experience and a huge weight off my shoulder. But because I didn't know what the experience was like or what what light could be on the other side of it, I saw it as like, as soon as someone tells you you're this, then that's what you are. And then everyone will know and you know, had created this narrative around it being really horrible. And it's actually been really wonderful because then you go, okay, cool. Like Now you know this about yourself. How can we Find tools and ways to live with it? How can we stop spiraling thoughts before they get you into a funk where you start getting physical ailments of anxiety or depression? And we're kind of policing those thoughts, which can feel really overwhelming Mm. at first. Yeah, I just, there was, there's no reason for me to have been sitting and living in such misery without help because it doesn't have to be that way. Mm. There can be a light and there can be hope and there can be all these things that when you're in it, you feel like none of that is. Ever going to be possible Mm,
0: That's so true And it's almost like The depression wants you To think that It wants you to It wants to bring you down It doesn't want you To get help You know
1: Yeah Mm. It wants you to isolate And it wants you to Yeah To believe all the things Your brain is capable Of telling you That are really horrible Mm.
0: Um, Fun (laughs) Yeah (laughs) Thanks brain What are some of the tools Like what I mean obviously You went through some therapy But what are some of the tools You learned Mm. through that time And things you've been able To put into into place in your life when, you know, it's never going to fully go away, but that help. Well, that was moments. a big learning thing
1: for me. I honestly thought that I could fix it. I was like, that's for, we'll fix this. I was yeah. like, oh no, it's, you know, I'll be prone to these kind of thought processes for life, but that doesn't mean I can't do, yeah, do the work to interject when they do start. So I've learned that sleep is a huge trigger for me for the wheels falling off. Mm. So if I'm not sleeping, that's kind of phase one, um, that I need to get figured out because me without sleep, like any human without sleep, like at some point we need to stop glorifying like the the busyness of like oh I'm only getting like three hours like that's not,
0: cool. not cool at all. Your body <laughs> not cool, can- guys. Yeah, it's not cool. Yeah. your body can't actually do what it needs to do. It can't like function and like the process yeah. of the things it needs to do. Like you and
1: each people like I guess I I I am such a like obsessed with kind of mentors or like really intelligent people and a lot of those really high functioning intelligent people that only sleep a few hours a night. So I kind of glorify like, that's fine. You know, if Bill Gates does it, I can do it too. You know, real ego kind of attitude about it, but I'm not someone who can operate on little Mm. amounts of sleep. It causes physical ailments in my body and it also, yeah, definitely makes me more sensitive, hypersensitive, hyper prickly and you know that can also affect my experiences it's much easier for me to take something personally and create a spiral and create a world that doesn't exist when I'm tired it's Mm. an easier route easier to go down that path than it is to go come on Kim have a think is this what has happened you know like if you're too tired to deal with that then you just always take that easy path so sleep is a big thing Um, another tool Talking, I think feeling isolated was caused a lot of pain for me, and like in kind of doing my podcast or even talking to you today, kind of normalizes it, and like, oh, cool, that's fine. We've all got our things to work with, and kind of taking the power back in that. And then the third thing is kind of reframing the narrative. There's been a lot of great things that have come with my depression and anxiety, whether that is more empathy for other people, a better understanding of my peers, my family members, yeah. I don't know, It kind of people in general that we're all, our brains will work in like curious, crazy, fun, eccentric and harmful ways at times and just having a little bit more, just like opening my education around it has kind of helped my experience and I've been able to connect with a lot of people at a level which I haven't been able to before by yeah. having transparency. Then you probably get joy out of that too. It's like yeah. when you actually take time each week to talk to someone about this stuff, It like helps you grow as a human. You're like, oh, I didn't know that about myself. Well, that's something interesting to be aware of this week. And like that adds more value to my life, I think, rather than this little demonic evil version of me that I just kind of like hid from everyone.
0: But, that's, but do you feel that? Often the things we're most afraid of sharing about ourselves or our vulnerabilities, you know, things we don't really want to share because we're protecting ourselves, often when you do share that, or it can be just simple things like normalizing depression or anxiety. You don't feel so alone, and you you are able to connect with people like you wouldn't have been able to before. And people can connect with you because it's real. It's showing mm-hmm. it's showing signs of realness. And when you got diagnosed, was it with clinical depression? Did they tell you, and were you like, "What is that"?
1: Yeah. So I found the process really interesting, actually. Um, so my first. Session was filling out a bunch of questions, and I, this is quite common. I feel where you kind of go through and you do like sometimes always never, and each question is allocated a certain amount of points that you're not privy to when you're filling it out. And some questions kind of are reworded further down the list so that, like, <laughs> if you like me, fill out forms for the way I want to answer versus <laughs> like what really is the truth. You know, you kind of get caught out in that, which is great. That are perfectly designed for people like me who go, well, I'll just put sometimes because I don't, <laughs> you know. Anyway, uh, and it was in that that I I guess because I always thought depression was you can't get out of bed and I've never had that. I'm a very high-functioning depressed, at times depressed person. So it would say things like sensitivity to sound and that was something that I was really having an issue with where it was like something I hadn't even noticed before where I would just feel so anxious. I hated loud noises or even like the ticking of the indicator in the car or like loud Drake just fucking made me want to open the car door and jump out it was just like certain like sirens made me things that I hadn't noticed before this idea of I can't be bothered socializing with people feeling like you know even people I love and usually love seeing it was like this like effort that I was like I just can't don't have the energy to do it and I would do it and I would just want to leave the whole time so there were like certain questions that were almost like light bulb moments that I hadn't articulated in how I was feeling. But when the question came up, I was like, 100% that's how I feel. Mm. And so that was a really interesting process to me because it made me understand all these things that have felt quite uncomfortable are all part of a bigger... Picture. It's not as simple as like you're depressed. It's like, what is showing up for you? You know, is it anxiety? Is it depression? Is it there was a lot of like, because I'm an actress, they obviously tested me on the scale of eating disorders and stuff, which I don't thankfully because I know that that's really a horrible thing to be going through. That wasn't something, but you know, they kind of like tested me for like, okay, this is what you do as a career. Like, here are like the typical things that we would test for. And, Mm. you know, then they test for bipolar and a few other things. And so I came up on the scale because I had experienced suicidal thoughts that threw my number up really high. And so I, on the scale from like not depressed to severely depressed, I was right on kind of the cusp of moderately to severely depressed. So at that point, then they, you talk about medication. Now I was, actively taking part in a lot of behavior of self-harm in the terms of diet and no exercise. So I use food as a way to medicate good and bad. So I was just eating shit food. And when I say shit food, you probably maybe eye roll because I'm very lucky. I have high metabolism. I don't carry a lot of weight, but I was eating takeaways for two out of three meals a day because I didn't care about myself. I don't care, care about my body. I didn't care about being here. And so I was not feeding myself the right fuel. The idea of going for exercise, I was like, oh, well, my body's fine. I don't need it. Yet I'm probably dying on the inside because I'm literally eating McDonald's and Taco Bell all day. We made the decision to try and correct some of that behavior first before looking at medicating. Because I know medication works for a lot of people. I'm definitely not not open to it. I just felt myself, I was like, this is the kick in the butt I need to kind of see what I can do on my own in terms of, diet and exercise, basic human care that I just Mm. didn't love myself enough to take the time to eat right and move my body, Mm. which is probably really common. I didn't value myself enough to, if if you were coming over and you needed food or you needed anything, I would do whatever it takes. Mm. But for myself, I just wouldn't take that extra 10 minutes to make an egg on toast I'll just eat cereal every meal or something.
0: What do you think made you, was this experience I think for you, was that what made you really learn to value yourself and love yourself enough to care for yourself well?
1: I think I just don't want to be depressed and I don't want to be unhealthy. I just want to give myself a better opportunity to be happier and feel better and I essentially was stopping myself from doing that like Mm. what is it like a self-fulfilling prophecy like oh I feel shit well I'll continue to actively engage in the behavior that makes me feel shit and yeah it's hard though I'm I'm pretty bad at self-care in terms of those basic human things like drinking water and eating good food
0: what is I know you've talked a little bit I've seen you talk a bit about self-care um recently Mm -hmm. what are some of the because self-care doesn't have to be fancy doesn't have to be full-on it can just be like simple things that work for you What are some of your Mm -hmm. go-to self-care practices that help you? Um,
1: I love listening to comedy and stand-up or watching great shows. I don't really allow enough time in my day to do it a lot. In the States, there's like a Comedy Central channel. So in the car, I'm always listening to like five-minute stand-up. Yeah, or something inspiring. Like my self-care is usually knowing nothing about a subject, which is why podcasts are great. And then like wanting to be an expert, which is a little bit, a-type. yeah, a little bit like let's cons- add another tab to the brain tabs. But I, I get a lot of energy from curiosity, so I think it's a like, it's a good recharge for me. Like I have bees outside my room because I was like, I don't know if I know anything about bees, and bees will save the planet. So you know that I'm like, I'll get a beehive. I think things like that are good self-care for me. And yeah, being around my family is a huge weight off my shoulders. Just knowing that I'm taking care of. You know, I spend a lot of my life traveling and away from the people I love and that can be really isolating and just by its own nature. So knowing that, I'm you know Living with my parents While I'm at home here And it's great Like at some point The responsibility is off me Like you know Like I am okay Whatever happens mm. You know so
0: It sounds like you are Like eating a bit better These days I And mean, we did a um, little chat For a uh, project you were, you were doing with Neon And you just mm-hmm. like Juiced a whole orange And you'd like Literally juice the skin As well And you're like Your poor guts Like your poor tummy Was so sore remember I know And that's the thing I'm just a bit shit
1: At a lot of things <laughs> Like no, you No I genuinely Really am. It's very sweet of you to contest me, but it's really <laughs> true. I, I will hand on my heart say there are some areas in life which I just excel at, and that is great, and I own that. But in the majority of like general human things, I am just a bit shit. And yeah. that's okay. I do comedy. I accept that. So yes, the intention of like I'll get a juicer and make juice and not having the thought of like you should peel the fruit first <laughs> and then ingesting the juice and being in pain for days because I had eaten like 12 entire oranges. Oh my god, I didn't know it was nine. 12. That's for- oh, well, nine. I'm exaggerating from comedy. It was probably uh, about six. Uh, Never let the truth get in the way of a good story, Belle. Oh, um, god. and then being in pain and it's like that. That fits perfectly with the narrative of me that I am just a bit shit at mm. certain things.
0: What's it been like? I mean, have you been with your partner? Were you with your partner through that time where you got diagnosed with depression, or did you meet him after? Yeah, no, no. I was, I was
1: with him then, and it was, um, it was tough. He's awesome, but it's also hard when you're kind of, you know, at, I guess, our age and in relationship and stuff. And it was just so easy for me to to think all of the problems that we were experiencing were. His fault, (laughs) And so when you don't know why you're depressed or when you don't know why you're feeling you're in a funk, it's very easy to start pointing the finger and go, oh, it's this relationship or it's this job or it's, you know, and usually the last place you look is like, oh, it's me. Not out of an arrogance thing, but if you don't know what it is, it's you kind of look for something tangible to put your unhappiness on. And so I think it was, a, it was definitely a very difficult time because I thought a lot of my unhappiness stemmed from the relationship I was in, my career not going the way it was and living so far away from my family. That's what I thought was happening. Mm. So he, him and my sister were the ones really pushing me to go and get help. And I think I resented them a little bit for that initially. Because I felt like, I was like, well, maybe you could behave differently <laughs> and then this would all be different. Which is a really horrible, you know, I'm only articulating that now yeah, because in hindsight that wasn't the case. But at the time, that's what it felt like. Like it felt like they were washing or he was washing his hands and saying go and see someone else when that wasn't the case. But Mm. anyone who's been in a funk and when someone says you should go see someone to get help... Can be really, com- you know. Yeah. Why don't you fucking change, you asshole? Like, it's all because of you, but it's, yeah. it wasn't.
0: Has it made Experience, your yeah. relationship better? Do you think? Like, you know, you guys have obviously oh, I think I'm
1: much nicer to live with. They have more self, like, self awareness.
0: <laughs> well, it's it's like you know these things either make or break people, and you know, like, relationships yeah. can break up because of you know someone experiencing something, or you know. So, you guys obviously, it's made you guys stronger, and you're obviously a strong couple because you've lasted. You know.
1: Thank you. That's very sweet. I think I'm still probably in a bit of a journey with myself and I've appreciated him supporting that journey because I know I'm sure on the other hand, and anyone who's listening, who's living with someone who's kind of like figuring out, you know, the basement of their thoughts is like, it can be a lot. So mm-hmm. yeah, I am, I'm really grateful. He's very, he's very level headed and very logical. And I'm like this fucking bouncing ball of like waking up, being like, I'm awesome. And going to bed, being like, I don't know who I am. Oh. Where he's just pretty consistent all day. So it's Yeah. Good.
0: Yeah, has that been a process? I mean, I know we talked earlier, like, dating is hard. It's so hard. And, oh, dating the wrong people, and you've obviously now dating the right person. Like, was that an intense process for you? Like, it is for all of us growing up.
1: Yeah, I, um... I don't really know how to answer that. I think that I've had a, a few loves of my life and they've all been very different narratives. I think there's part of me that is really attracted to that passion and that chaos and that ride or die kind of love. And I think what I was, I'm actively trying to explore with Josh is kind of this more healthier love where you you know, care about each other's well-being more than your own, and you know, and with that, it feels sometimes a little like normal, which mm. is also, weird. I think as an you know as a passionate person, I want it to be like amazing all the time and fiery but exciting and like I don't know. But, yeah. So it's, it's been a learning process to realize that like the lo- the type of love that I have been addicted to or pursuing previously was ultimately unhealthy.
0: Mm. What are some advice? Yeah. We'll wrap up now. What are some advice that oh. you would give to your younger self, knowing what you know now?
1: I'm happy I am where I am now. So there's like little things I would change. I think for me, just where I'm at right now is that I felt like I needed to provide for a lot of my friends and friendships early on because I was earning money. I'm not very good at boundaries and it's something I'm trying to learn now. And I just wish I had... A little bit more of that when I was younger because I allowed myself to get really hurt by a lot of people by not putting up good enough boundaries. And I I think that would be something that I'm just learning because I'm a very open person mm. and I want everyone to love me. I want to love everyone. I fall in love with everyone's potential or the version of them that they may not even be, but by fantasy version of them. And I think I still... Carry a lot of pain, and I take full accountability for allowing situations or relationships or friendships to get to a place where I felt like I was giving, 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 giving. And then when I needed people, they weren't there. Mm. And that hurt. I created that environment and taking accountability. So that would kind of be my thing of like learning healthy boundaries is something I still understand without yeah blocking people off but yeah. just whether it's with your time your energy your money whatever that is like mm. yeah finding healthy boundaries anyone's yeah. got any advice I need it oh. now so
0: aren't we all aren't we all trying yeah. to find them yeah and also yeah. what are some advice you've given that to us and the advice you'd give yourself but what are some advice you'd like to give to people listening who maybe want to do the the amazing things that you're doing with your life and your career Oh bless. Oh, just have fun. Follow
1: follow your passion. Like life is really hard and you're not gonna it's not gonna be linear. Like life in its concept is supposed to have chaos chaos and ups and downs and loss and heartbreak and joy. As, as difficult as what I'm pursuing can be, it does bring me a lot of joy. And at least I know that when I do it, it makes me feel so good. So if you have the opportunity to pursue something you love, like life's going to be hard and have shit times anyway. You may as well be doing something that lights the fire in your belly. Mm. Otherwise, I feel like that could be quite sad otherwise so yeah
0: that's definitely good Be advice bold. and yeah. tell us you've got your you've got your podcast I'll link everything in the show notes this episode you've got your podcast pretty depressed which is so cool and out for season two so well done on that tell us about Thank the other know. projects because you've been filming so many things I can't keep up what shows so are you so doing so at the moment
1: um so golden boy is on tv3 it is my favorite and the funniest thing I've ever worked on I love it so love it love it love it Creamery is coming out on TV and Z. It won't be everyone's cup of tea because it's quite risque, but it's great and it's definitely got a great message underneath. It's a very dark comedy. It's kind of like reverse Handmaid's Tale would Ooh, be the best way I'm to describe so it. I'm so pumped for that. And it's amazing. So definitely get on board with that. Um, and then I'm filming a movie with Jay Ryan starting this week, so I'm excited.
0: That's so cool. And you've had other ones too, like the that, that 80s show you did. Oh Yes, uh, Surviving the 80s. Awesome. so many. I was like, can't keep up with what you're up to. It's so cool. So well done, Kim. Thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate having you on. And I feel like we could chat about everything forever, so maybe we'll have to do that another time time
1: sounds good i love you and just as a, a tag note on the end of the show like a huge thank you to you like i've been listening to a lot of your podcasts and you are a great interviewer and you allow people the space to talk about things that are important to them and that's really really fucking cool so thank Aww. you thank you.
0: Thank you. that's very kind thank you so much kim Thank you so much for listening to the Self Love Club podcast. Please subscribe for weekly episodes and catch up on the backlog of eps you may have missed. Until the next episode, make sure you're following the Self Love Club at Self Love Club Podcast on Instagram for daily content, IGTV clips of interviews, and you can find me at Val Crawford. Plus, find resources and articles on my website, valcrawford.com with a new recommendations page with my book club, all of the good shows to watch. And also, you can actually listen to all of the podcast interviews ever on the Self Love Club on the podcast page. We've got heaps of incredible guests coming up with weekly episodes available each Monday. I'll catch you really soon. i the most, Kay, Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's.